I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Bomb you once, shame on me. Would have bombed you twice, but decided not to because I'm a hero. Now shame on you for doubting me. It's high noon for Friday, March 5th, 2021. Follow the podcast on Gab and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator. Or on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. Join the discussion thread at t.me slash be reasonable discussion. And if you want some very attractive, fun merchandise, go to www.cancelcouture.com. And if you get some, send me some pictures. I love it. A coffee cup, nothing would make me happier than to see you enjoying a lovely coffee cup in the morning, or cup of coffee even, you can enjoy both. That says cancel me, so you know you're ready to start the day. Or one that says solved it with a black square, just so that I can know that by using that black square, you have already solved racism for the day. I would be Super impressed. Now, today is the 44th full day of Barack Obama's third term, as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party and really just there to do their bidding. He's also the patriarch of one of America's most corrupt and destructive families. And he's the father of one of the most despicable sons in world history. So congratulations, commies. All you had to do to pretend to save the world was cheat enough to put the dead guy in the office. So speaking of said dead guy, and in reference to my little open there, a report came out today saying that Joe Biden decided not to bomb Syria a second time because a woman and some children were there. Now, the first thing to think is, oh, well, that's lovely. We care about the loss of human life in Syria. That's why we do what the CIA says, right, Joe? Because they care so much about the lives of Syrians. But on the other hand, if you had a military mission worth executing and you chose not to do it because some women and children were there, well, maybe it wasn't the most important plan in the first place. Or maybe they wanted a nice little PR hit about Biden. Communists were mad 
that he had bombed Syria in the first place. So the best thing to do to make them happy is to say, well, hey, we were going to do it twice, but the reason we didn't is because we're so nice. I mean, I guess if that's the logic, you can bomb them as many times as you want, as long as the next time you don't do it. And then you say that you didn't do it so you could save people. Strange argument. But also, couldn't you have just waited until the woman and the children had left? I mean, how long was it going to take? A half hour? 45 minutes? How long are minutes in Syria, Joe? It's very far away. Perhaps they don't even have the same gravitational pull that we do. So time runs at a different speed. Now, as I think we all know, Trump has been very active with these statements lately. It seems like every day there's a statement on an issue. And I mean, often it's truly an attack on political enemies. There's no reason to sugarcoat that. The media might call it that, but it's also correct. And those enemies, especially the last two days, Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden, deserve to be attacked politically. Politically. I said politically. They do deserve to be arrested, prosecuted, and then served with a sentence of at least life. But that is not an attack. He's also been endorsing one prospective 2022 candidate after the next. He does it almost every day. The last couple of days, it's been uh, John Kennedy, a senator from Louisiana, and Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina. But he's doing it quite a lot. And, you know, I don't know entirely what to make of this, but it's, it's strange enough to warrant some thinking and perhaps some speculation. Now, The time between now and November of 2022 is 20 months. That's a pretty long time. In a normal circumstance, you wouldn't be endorsing someone 20 months out because, first of all, you don't know what they're going to do in that amount of time. And second of all, the endorsement, the timing of the endorsement is often used to distract from a harmful political story or to get a bump in a tight race. So to do it 20 months ahead of time signals to me that there's something else going on. And I think it's one of two things. I mean, obviously, the second one is a bit more fantastical. I understand that. But The first one, it seems at the very least, he's messaging to other politicians and saying, these guys are with us. So you cannot and should not expect them to do anything that MAGA doesn't like, which I think is wonderful. And if that's all it is, great, fine. I also wonder if it's not 
a preemption of the election results being thrown out and new elections being held, or perhaps Trump is now saying, these are the guys that we do not have to worry about primary in that circumstance. So yes, call it a fantasy, call it speculation. That's exactly what it is. I'm telling you that right now. I don't know if I'm going to be right, but if I'm projecting out from this story, what could this be for? What I do, which I don't think is a bad thing to do, is consider what options would make sense what would align with the action in terms of what motivates it? And then obviously, if something is impossible, you throw it out. And a lot of people will think that Trump going back into office, the election results being overturned, the fraud being proven, all of that, they think that's impossible. I don't. So that's the difference. And that's why some people might think it's crazy. I'm all good with that. You can think I'm crazy all day and all night. People thought I was crazy when I said that COVID was not killing nearly as many people as it, as it was. And part of my reasoning for that was things that I could read by Anthony Fauci, things that I could read on the CDC website, things that I could hear on podcasts from people from Johns Hopkins who rescinded most of what they said not long after. But the stats never went along with their new positions. You know, people thought that was crazy. I didn't. I said it. I'm glad I said it. And I've been proven right on virtually the entire COVID narrative. I speculated about voter fraud months and months and months before it happened because it was an issue I had paid attention to ever since finding out a few years ago that California has millions of extra registered voters beyond the number of eligible voters in the state. That means that there are millions of people who will receive ballots if they're sending ballots to every registered voter. That is an obvious, obvious reason to think that rampant fraud is going to occur, especially in a state that allows ballot harvesting, has drop boxes, etc., etc. At that time, I was met with the constant refrain of there is no evidence of voter fraud. Voter fraud is something that really doesn't happen. Sure, there are small instances, but there has never been widespread voter fraud in any election. Oh, hey, did you see this report about mail-in ballot voter fraud. Yeah, but there's never been any actual proof of voter fraud. Oh, sorry, Kami. Yeah, you're right. I'm a conspiracy theorist. So I have no problem with this speculation. People want to think I'm crazy all good. Like I always say, things can go multiple ways. And again, I don't believe that the timing of the things I said drawing closer to the election and in the election's immediate aftermath we're all right on the time scale I assumed because I had always, it had been a, a key assumption that all of that would be handled before the inauguration date. That was definitely wrong. But the idea that it's gonna get handled, 
I don't think that's wrong. I'm still 100% on board with the idea that the election fraud will be proven and that these criminals who failed to object to the fraudulent election will be removed from office. I still believe that. You don't have to. But I have faith in the rule of law. I have faith in people being able to recognize the evidence. And when I say I have faith in the rule of law, I mean that I have faith in the Constitution being upheld at some point. I do not believe that the rule of law has been faithfully applied as of now. So, speaking of actual conspiracies, boom segue, maybe. Newsweek today is kind of self-owning. Actually, this came out yesterday. Uh, They are talking about how, in fact, they got the date wrong. So now there's a new date for the attack by QAnon groups at the Capitol yesterday, the one that never came anywhere close to happening. But they don't want to admit it. So here's a woman named Emily Zachor or Zachor, I think is how you say her name. Who knows? Sorry, Emily, if I got it wrong. The headline is QAnon theorists switch date to March 20th after no Trump inauguration. Call the fourth false flag. Very interesting headline. As federal law enforcement agencies braced for QAnon conspiracy theorists to engage in potential acts of violence on Thursday, leading affiliates of the far-right extremist movement seemed to amend formerly held beliefs about the significance of March 4th. Would love to know who she's referring to. Leading affiliates of the far-right extremist movement. Now that is a stretch. QAnon, a viral set of online conspiracy theories pushed predominantly by followers of former President Trump, gained widespread notoriety ahead of the most recent general election. You know, I hate, hate these words that mean to indicate a quantity of something, but nonetheless never define the actual quantity. A set of conspiracy theories. You don't know how many conspiracy theories? Which conspiracy theories? Can you tell us anything about the set? And they're pushed predominantly by followers of former President Trump. How much is it predominantly? And who are the other followers? Are they actually liberals who might choose somehow to think outside the box? Could be. Widespread notoriety. How widespread? Please, by all means, tell us how widespread it is. Also, let us know if 31 million people watched Trump's CPAC speech on Sunday before it was pulled down. And then, Let us know if that represents a full 10% of the country tuning in within days to see the quote-unquote former president speak. That's one-fifth of the entire electorate. 
as you define it. Of course, it's probably one quarter when we get closer to the actual number number of people who came out and voted for Joe Biden. Supporters believe a range of false conspiracies, a number, it's got to be some number, whose overarching theme alleges that distinguished Democrats belong to a secret global network of sex traffickers and Satan worshipers that Trump was appointed to disband. Now that is very silly. And they know it's very silly, which is why they always say it. Because that to people who are not remotely red-pilled, people addicted to the central narrative, that set of beliefs that they have ascribed to QAnon, the thing that doesn't actually exist, that's going to be impossible for them to take seriously. And I know that because I used to think that way. And this, I was always like, no, that sounds absolutely stupid. What are you talking about? So that's why they always use it. They could actually just look at Q posts or maybe interview with an open mind people from the Q community. And I'm not saying that they would be convincing or that anyone would agree with it. I'm only saying they could actually state the set of beliefs correctly. Proponents for QAnon were responsible for spreading misinformation and disinformation about a number of issues, from COVID-19 to the Black Lives Matter movement during the months leading up to the November election. That is false. Every single word of that is false. That is absurd. I mean, this is not journalism. Originally, QAnon theorists believed that Trump would resume his place in the White House on March 4th, the standing presidential inauguration day prior to the 20th Amendment's passage in 1933. Inaugurations took place on January 20th, the day President Joe Biden was sworn into the office earlier this year after that. A very bad sentence, but okay. Aware of the March 4th conspiracy, federal agencies, including, and by including they mean only, the U.S. Capitol Police, and the Department of Homeland Security, prepared for possible uprisings. Many of the Trump supporters who stormed the U.S. Capitol complex on January 6th were QAnon affiliates. What is a QAnon affiliate? Do they have a rewards program? Are they part of a franchise? What in the world does this even mean? Again, it is basic knowledge that there is not a QAnon. There is no group or formal group. There are just people who either disagree or agree with beliefs that fall outside the mainstream and are usually totally correct. There are no affiliates though. However, over the past month, prominent conspiracists within the QAnon internet community began to doubt the March 4th theory. Alex Kaplan, a senior researcher at right-wing media watchdog Media Matters for America, showcased the growing skepticism among QAnon influencers in an ongoing Twitter thread. The thread included screenshots of their posts to various chat platforms, such as Telegram, describing March 4th as a false flag constructed by mainstream news organizations and internal double agents to deceive true QAnon opponents, or proponents, sorry. 
I don't think that means what they think it means. What in the world do they think they're proving there? That's not the community doubting the theory. There is no theory. The community is calling out what the media was doing on purpose. It's amazing how they are so bubbled that they don't understand what simple words and actions actually mean. This is totally disconnected from reality. Can't help but get the feeling that these March 4th true inauguration stories are planned disinfo, being peddled by the injected Anons to dupe people into spreading probably nonsense theories that make the whole movement look dumb. One QAnon influencer wrote in an online forum early last month, according to a screenshot that Kaplan shared to Twitter on February 10th. Kaplan redacted all QAnon supporters' names prior to posting the screen captures. Well, that's certainly interesting. So really, it could have been anyone who wrote that. Caution, another wrote last week, all of the irresponsible talk around March 4th is very likely to set up or another setup to target members of the Q community as extremists. Spread the word and do not go to any big events that day. Yeah, no shit. What's wrong with that? Now you're mad that people in the very dangerous community are sending each other messages to make sure that no one goes and does anything violent on March 4th? Is that where we're at right now? Two additional influencers who Kaplan said previously backed the March 4th conspiracy theory seem to have changed their minds entirely by Wednesday. The influencers respectively described the theory as a false flag and a trap in messages that appeared on separate social media platforms. Responding to a Telegram thread that referenced taking the fences down around D.C., one influencer wrote, so let me get this straight. They want to take them down two days before they think something is something will happen on the 4th? False flag coming. Again, yes, exactly right. It's like they're trying to red pill communists. But I think that she's serious here. I mean, there's no way that there's some operation telling the reporters to be this stupid. March 4th is a trap. Q knew, the other said in a different post. Is it a trap for them or is it a trap for us? Earlier, the same influencer claimed anything anyone hyping March 4th is suspect and called the March 4th conspiracy an MSM false flag setup. Again, what's the problem with that? Some QAnon supporters seem to rebrand the March 4th conspiracy in the wake of community suspicion, while two individuals affiliated with the false theories simply suggested that Trump's inauguration would take place sometime in the spring. One man, identified as Ken, <laughs> told Washington Post reporter Dave Weigel that the former president will be inaugurated again on March 20th in comments over the weekend. Ken also believes that Trump is still in command of the military and Biden is acting as president as a ruse while the Pope and others are rounded up, according to Weigel. The upcoming date will mark the 167th anniversary of the Republican Party's founding. Former members of the Whig Party are said to have technically established the GOP during a meeting in Rapon, Wisconsin on March 20th, 1854. Okay, that is so very stupid. All of that is unbelievable. The headline, QAnon theorists switch date to March 20th 
after no Trump inauguration. How many theorists did they cite here? They really just cited a guy named Ken who talked to a different media outlet and put it in the comments of the media figures post. Is that journalism? I feel like I'm actually the meme that like anime meme where the the kid sits there with his hand out and his glasses on and a butterfly floats in near him. And the butterfly says, theorists say, QAnon will inaugurate President Trump on March 20th. And then his part of the meme says, is this journalism? What in the fuck is this? Their sources for this story about a conspiracy that they pushed are like three random unnamed people on the internet. One of them who responded in the comments from another site's reporter. That's crazy. Now, in every story as heroic and amazing as yesterday's story of how the Democrats prevented a QAnon violent right-wing conspiracy theory extremist movement insurrection, we need a hero, one who stands out, one whose story we will tell throughout the years. And then a hero comes along with the strength to carry on. I'm just like Whitney Houston. I've always known that. Speaking of Houston, boom, segue. That was not even anticipated. But Houston Congressman, Democrat Al Green took to the Capitol steps where he sat for a good long time and did not do anything else but sit. But he said what he was doing was protesting QAnon. A quote from the hero before he drove out of sight, back to his lair, never to be seen again until a new evil arises. I won't be intimidated. U.S. Rep. Al Green remains on Capitol steps amid threats of violence to Congress. You can listen to the Houston Chronicle article. Well, I guess you'd have to read it. Or maybe you can listen to it. They have text-to-voice programs now. I won't be intimidated. Intimidated by what? Protesting at the Capitol against QAnon is like protesting in Baghdad against unicorns. That's not a protest. Sitting down on the stairs while nothing else happens and claiming that you are standing up to a group that doesn't exist 
and showing your ability <laughs> to not be intimidated while sitting on steps, standing up to a group that doesn't exist, and oh yeah, while surrounded by a fence with razor wire and thousands of heavily armed troops. Like I said, hero status. And speaking of very important work, The Atlantic today published an article called The Still Misunderstood Shape of the Clitoris. Now, which Atlantic readers are in search of this information? And also, which of the feminists, the 2021 feminists on the staff of The Atlantic are still worried about people being able to understand the clitoris. Is lesbianism not what it's cracked up to be or something? (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. Now let's jump right back to the Capitol. Use our teleporters. This is from late yesterday afternoon. Federal investigators are examining communications between U.S. lawmakers and Capitol rioters. Guess what network? CNN. Evan Perez, my hero. This thing is way too long for me to read all of. And of course, they had a second reporter contribute to the report down at the bottom. (laughs) Why isn't the woman equal? Why isn't she up in the headlines, CNN? You assholes. Federal investigators are examining records of communications between members of Congress and the pro-Trump mob that attacked the U.S. Capitol. As the investigation moves closer to exploring whether lawmakers wittingly or unwittingly helped the insurrectionists, according to a U.S. official briefed on the matter, the data gathered so far includes indications of contact with lawmakers in the days around January 6th, as well as communications between alleged rioters discussing their associations with members of Congress, the official said. I think that we can let the article be the article after that, but this is going to be extremely funny when they find out the Congress members in discussions with the rioters are all Democrats and Mitch McConnell and maybe Liz Cheney. And I just want to circle back for a second to Joe Biden's decision not to bomb Syria. Now, that story came out today to try to make Joe look like some sort of hero that's protecting the women and the children and the Syrians. Also today, well, last night, the story kind of started developing. Eight senators had uh, proposed a bill that would rescind the authorizations for use of military force that have been in effect since 1991 and 2002. And I have a feeling that's why Trump used to call it forever wars. Now, it's interesting that they're doing this with Biden in office. So what is this for? Now, they're using his serious strike as an excuse to do this. They're also at the same time trying to clear Biden morally of the serious strike. Those two stories in the span of 24 hours or so, maybe it's 36 hours. But there's a connection there and I wanna know what it is. So speculating, who knows what? But this seems like there are probably operations 
that were not started by Joe Biden that they would like to bring to a close on this basis. Do I know that? Obviously not. But I find it hard to imagine why Democrat senators would be lining up to do this because the PR is fairly terrible, especially in the same week that they proposed taking away Joe's access to the nuclear codes. Like all of this looks like the Democrat Party is flat out admitting that the man pretending to be commander in chief right now has lost his mind. So I don't see why you go down the road of that PR and that narrative if there isn't another reason for all this, one that makes it a bigger priority. And now let's circle forward again, which I think is how you get back to the point where you started when you first circled back. So back to the Capitol riots. A piece in Gateway Pundit last night uh, details a letter written by Ashley Babbitt's attorneys, or press release, I should say. The shooting of Ashley Babbitt on January 6, 2021, by an unidentified U.S. Capitol Police officer was an unjustified use of deadly force which violated her constitutional rights. It is clear from video footage that Ashley did not pose a danger to the officer or any other person when she was shot. Ashley was unarmed. She did not assault anyone. She did not threaten to harm anyone. There was no excuse for taking her life. It is a universal law enforcement standard that a police officer should use no more force than necessary to accomplish a lawful purpose. At five foot two inches tall and 110 pounds, an arrest of Ashley could have been accomplished by a single trained officer with a set of handcuffs. At the time of the shooting, there were over a half dozen police officers in close proximity to the speaker's door where Ashley was standing. Some of those officers had just allowed protesters access to the door by stepping aside. Other officers dressed in full tactical gear stood among the protesters just a few feet behind the door. Still others stood casually at the opposite end of the speaker's lobby, unconcerned with the activities of Ashley and the protesters around her. All of these officers were in a position to have aided in the apprehension of Ashley if it was necessary. Given her background as a 14-year veteran of the Air Force, it is likely that Ashley would have complied with, a simple, with simple verbal commands, thereby making use of any force unnecessary. However, the officer who shot Ashley never attempted to arrest her, nor did he call on his fellow officers to arrest her. Instead, he fired a shot into her chest. Now, the video sure looked like it was neck. And I think everyone who's watched the video in any slow form or watched it multiple times would agree with that. Maybe I'm wrong. Witnesses confirmed that the officer did not give Ashley a single verbal warning prior to firing. In fact, Ashley was not even aware that the officer was present as he was located in the doorway of a room off to the side of her field of vision. To date, the officer who shot Ashley has not been identified. Neither the Capitol Police nor any other governmental authority has given an account of the facts surrounding the shooting. There has been no official explanation or justification for the use of lethal force in this matter. This lack of transparency impedes the public scrutiny which is necessary to hold government officials accountable in a free society. It also interferes with the ability of Ashley's family to obtain justice for their loss. 
My law firm and I represent Ashley's husband and family members. We will continue to investigate this matter. We intend to take the appropriate legal action when our investigation has been completed. We call upon Capitol Police as well as the United States Congress to make public the facts and circumstances of Ashley's shooting. That is great. Also, that sounds like her lawyers might have actually gone ahead and watched the tapes instead of seeing one little highlight on CNN and then just saying, yes, deadly, very deadly insurrection, very armed, deadly insurrection. White supremacist. It does make a difference when you actually watch things and actually try to figure out what happened by synthesizing all the various pieces of information from all the various sources. It does make a difference. I hope these lawyers are successful in this because I think the public obviously deserves to know what happened to this woman, if anything. And again, if that sounds controversial, there are breakdowns of the video in slow motion and you'll see a whole bunch of things you didn't see. It's worth your time. I would actually really be interested in going back and I will if I get some time or someone else helping out on this, which you're all welcome to. But I want to know what the media figures and what the constantly in front of television cameras, Congress people were saying prior to January 6th, because again, they drummed up the narrative that there would be this very, very violent attack, which is why uh, an attack that is not nearly what they're calling it is still being called all of that. There was an event that was meant to be different than it turned out. That's why they're not describing it honestly. If they described it honestly, everybody would be like, hey, why did you make such a huge deal out of this? But I have a feeling that the language was almost the same leading up to January 6th as it was leading up to yesterday. And I would be really, really interested in seeing a supercut of that. Like, what did Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez say on the 4th, 5th, and 6th of January? And what did she say on the 1st, 2nd, 3rd of March? What about Chris Cuomo? What about Don Lemon? What about Rachel Maddow? What about any of these lunatics? I would bet that they were all perpetuating the exact same narrative both times. Now, Joe Biden has still not given a press conference in the briefing room where people can ask questions and he actually answers them. He hasn't done it once. He hasn't been in a question and answer setting once since he became president. But he also hasn't really been in that setting at all, even in the campaign. Does anyone believe that Biden stood out there and answered questions on his own? He would read off teleprompters in interviews, but he's essentially nowhere to be found. In fact, he's vacationing in Wilmington again. And Jen Pisirkelback said that Joe Biden lives in Wilmington. That's why he's there. He lives in Wilmington. He's always lived there. That just rhymed. I'm like Dr. Seuss. Perhaps she's unaware that Joe Biden is supposed to be at the White House. But what does Joe Biden call the White House? A gilded cage. 
Maybe his secret service button that's supposed to be on his Resolute desk is just up in Wilmington. Maybe Joe forgot it there last time. Or maybe he thought Hunter needed it more. Now, I just wanted to mention one thing, and then we'll have some Andrew Cuomo fun. But, you know, I have some friends who have messaged me in the last few days, like, do you still think something's going to happen? Like, I can't believe it's taking this long. All these bad things are happening. And, you know, I mean, I just say to them, well, hey, like, yes, I still think, think things are happening. Of course I do. I don't think that the people who have the power to stop our nation from being destroyed are going to sit idly by and allow it to be. I really don't believe that. I don't see that as a possibility because the alternative is, is too awful. Like, what would I even bother doing considering that alternative? If considering that alternative more helped me avoid it or helped anyone else avoid it, perhaps I would. But I think that I'm giving it as much credit as it's worth in describing who these people who have usurped power and who pretend to power, the things that they are aligned with, the things that they plan to do. There's no point in trying to convince everyone that all hope is lost. If you can't prepare yourself for the worst outcome while pushing forward the best outcome, that's on you. And if you can't find the patience in yourself to wait until the goal actually gets completed, until it comes to fruition, then maybe you got to take a break or you have to move on or something, you know? But the goal is worth it. The goal is worth our patience. The goal is to remove corruption, widespread corruption in the world's most powerful circles, organizations, and institutions. That goal is worth it no matter how long it takes. Success is the metric not speed. So you got to stick with it or move on, but you should stick with it because it's important. Now, Andrew Cuomo. Somehow the New York Times accidentally did their job and reported on something they don't want to report on. Now, I'll leave it to you to decide whether or not you think they actually did their job. But an article last night, Cuomo aides rewrote nursing home report to hide higher death toll. Oh, that sounds horrible. The intervention was the earliest action yet known in an effort by Governor Andrew Cuomo that concealed how many nursing home residents died in the pandemic. Was I called a conspiracy theorist for talking about how Andrew Cuomo actually put sick people into nursing homes? Yes, I was. By people very close to me? Oh, yes, for sure. Was I right then? Obviously, because you can't be right now and have said it then without being right then. I didn't miraculously become right. This was right 10 months ago. 
So, J. David Goodman and Danny Hakeem, top aides to Governor Andrew M. Cuomo, were alarmed. A report written by state health officials had just landed, and boy, are its arms tired. And it included a count of how many nursing home residents in New York had died in the pandemic. The number, more than 9,000 by that point in June, was not public, and the governor's most senior aides wanted to keep it that way. They rewrote the report to take it out, according to interviews and documents reviewed by the New York Times. An extraordinary intervention, which came just as Mr. Cuomo was starting to write a book on his pandemic achievements, was the earliest act yet known in what critics have called a months-long effort by the governor and his aides to obscure the full scope of nursing home deaths. Wow. I wonder if it's worth going back and seeing how many articles the New York Times devoted to a coverage of Andrew Cuomo's book and b how many articles did the New York Times write covering for Cuomo in the nursing home fiasco last April, last May, last June? carefully explaining where the numbers come from and calling people who brought it up conspiracy theorists. If the answer is one or more than one, the New York Times is complicit. Is the answer one or more than one? You bet it is. After the state attorney general revealed earlier this year that thousands of deaths of nursing home residents had been undercounted, Mr. Cuomo finally released the complete data, saying he had withheld it out of concern that the Trump administration might pursue a politically motivated inquiry into the state's handling of the outbreak in nursing homes. Oh, politically motivated and not to check out the actual crime that was being committed and covered up by the government and by complicit media outlets like this one. Perhaps they should have spent less time covering the book he didn't even write and more time covering the fact that old people were dying from his decisions and not ours. But Cuomo and his aides actually began concealing the numbers months earlier as his aides were battling their own top health officials and well before requests for data arrived from federal authorities, according to documents and interviews with six people with direct knowledge of the discussions who requested anonymity to describe the closed door debates. Now, why would they request anonymity? Because this stuff doesn't belong on the public record? No, because they don't wanna to have to take account for it when their sociopath boss chooses not to resign. The central role played by the governor's top aides reflected the lengths to which Mr. Cuomo has gone in the middle of a deadly pandemic to control data, brush aside public health expertise, and bolster his position as a national leader in the fight against coronavirus. Oh, who's helping him? Anthony Fauci, that's right. Cuomo's the gold standard. It's odd that they're talking about him as so passe in terms of controlling the coronavirus. As the nursing home report was being written, the New York State Health Department's data contained in a chart reviewed by the Times that was included in a draft, put the death toll roughly 50% higher than the figure being cited publicly by the Cuomo administration. 
The health department worked on the report with McKinsey, a consulting firm hired by Mr. Cuomo, Pete Buttigieg, to help with the pandemic response. The chart they created compared nursing home deaths in New York with other states. New York's total of 9,250 9, deaths far exceeded that of the next highest state, New Jersey, which had 6,150 at the time. Oh, is New Jersey smaller than New York? Bet it is, huh? Wonder if that could explain it. The charges sought by the governor's aides fueled bitter exchanges with health officials working on the report. The conflict punctuated an already tense and developing relationship between Mr. Cuomo and his health department, one that would fuel an exodus of the state's, the state's top health officials. Now, I've been told at times over my life that the media's job is to hold people in power to account. So one might wonder, the New York Times, knowing all of this and all of these things being claimed as early as last April, why weren't they getting to the bottom of this? Why are they not getting to the bottom of this even now? The story literally got dumped on them not the other way around. Again, how is this journalism? This is pure propaganda and narrative control. It is literally nothing else. This is not journalism. There is no way people at the New York Times didn't at least hear of the claims that me and many others were making and that mainstream news sources were reporting. They just chose not to dig down on them. They didn't want to find out what was going on. And truthfully, it's probably even worse than that. They knew what was going on and they wouldn't publish it anyway. Now read the rest of the article if you like. I just want to focus on one paragraph here and it's actually more than halfway through this very long article, okay? That is when they finally mention who the aide is. Now, if you listen to this podcast or you've been paying attention to Cuomo News, you know the aide is Melissa DeRosa. She's his highest aide, and she's the one on the leaked phone call that made all of this finally go public in a way the New York Times couldn't contain, okay? But she's not listed until way, way down. Now, why is that? If you're only saying AIDS did this and AIDS did that and AIDS did this and AIDS changed it to protect Cuomo, then it certainly takes a whole lot of agency away from not only Andrew Cuomo, but the aides. Cuomo, obviously, by blaming it on the aides, and it takes pressure off the aides by not naming them until two-thirds of the way down a very long article. Again, this isn't journalism. This is pathetic. Now, I'm sure it will be a very exciting rest of the day and a very exciting weekend. But unfortunately, I will not be able to tell you about any of those things until Monday. So I'll be back Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. 
Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!